Today's show is brought to you by Ringer University, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Whether you're a Bruin, a Buckeye, or a Blue Devil, if you like college football, join the Ringer's Ben Glixman, Roger Sherman, and Chris Vernon as they serve up insights, picks, and predictions week to week. Ringer University also features Teed Up, our college basketball podcast, where Mark Titus and Tate Frazier give their expert analysis and keep you up to date on the latest college hoops news. So subscribe and listen to Ringer University, available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer MLB Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. My name's Michael Bauman. His name is Ben Lindbergh, and today we're answering your mail. Mailbag! Mailbag! Oh, crap. I don't have the the air horn app ready. Well... No matter what, we've got our, our mailbag runneth over, so we don't have time for banter. We don't have time for me to go digging for my cell phone. So, yeah, without objection, we'll we'll jump right in. Yeah, let's do it. Happy Labor Day, everyone. We are oh, yeah. pre recording so that our our producers didn't have to work over the long weekend. So we're just gonna go into mailbag and hope that nothing that we say is terribly outdated by the time you hear this. As yeah. always, yeah. All right, so the first one comes in via Twitter from at Bum Money. Is batting around nine or ten batters at bat in an inning? Mm, okay, so this genre of question generally question. I, I don't enjoy. I have permanently unsubscribed from all hot dog sandwich discussions. However, I do have pretty strong feelings about this one, and I don't know where you stand I'm on this really, one. Really, we've never <laughs> talked about this, and I, I'm terrified that you're gonna. <laughs> it's just ten. Go. No. No. Yes, it is. It's maybe dead. this is maybe this is why you have time to record five podcasts a week <laughs> and to record to write about video games and and television while I'm struggling to keep up with baseball. It's because you're working with 26 hour dates. You go around the batting order. You complete exactly. You go yeah, around. I know. You go around. You return to ends, where you started. Which which so so you've got a circle, right? Imagine a circle. How many right. people are in a batting order? Nine. Divided into nine wedges. Now, if why do you need to complete ten wedges to say that you've gone around the circle once? I guess I understand the wedge argument, but I think that to I, me, I, I think that's the crux of it. That's a reason that this is a debate because you say that because you hear announcers and one, I believe that it's nine because it's right, but also because when I was growing up watching Phillies games, Harry Callis would say bat. The team batted around. Usually it was the Braves who had batted around uh-huh. because this was the mid 90s. Right. But he would say it after when the ninth batter came up. Right. And I'm sure that this is that's entirely dependent on like how you were introduced to this phrase, right. whatever Absolutely. the formative broadcaster but also, or like, parent or whatever. There's a mathematical component to this. <laughs> now, now I'll say I'll say that, that doing it then, saying that whoever that, that the team is batted around at the start of the the ninth at bat of the inning, that assumes that there won't be caught stealer. There won't be some mm. sort of catastrophic event that will prevent the bat from from reaching its conclusion. So I, I you know, I'll I'll stipulate that it's not technically accurate until that ninth at bat is is complete. But I'm like this is flat earther territory to me. It's <laughs> I just don't understand. It's not it, it, like the hot dog sandwich thing, like I've gone over in my head of yeah, you know, I could definitely see both sides of that. Yes, and if we want, that is go, why I, I don't have an opinion. I don't. I don't care. It's arbitrary. It's how much uh, you, do you really want say to, either one. Yeah, how much yeah, do you really uh, want to interrogate the teleology of the hot dog? Right, but, but this one to me, and evidently to you, although in a completely opposite way, does have an answer. And I just think you have to go around to where you started. I think you have to be back to where you began, or else it's like batting i don't know through the order it's getting to the end of the order i you, you have to circle around you, you have, have to, to see get back to where you started so i look i don't want to cite dictionary definitions here i know that's always mm. uh it's a bad debate tactic uh you're saying that that batting around constitutes 10 batters so i think the ship has sailed on bad debate tactics but <laughs> yeah so i i just picked up my dixon baseball dictionary trusty dixon 
And I looked up batter round and it says to have all nine batters in a team's lineup come to bat during an inning with the 10th batter coming up. Now, I mean, maybe the that meaning could has not changed. be less illustrative. It is actually a kind of a confusing definition, but I think at least I interpret it to support my side of this case, which is that the 10th batter is is up and that the nine no, batters it says have 10th batted. batter is coming up, right? Coming up. <laughs> I assume I assume that means he's like actually on his way to the plate, though, right? Because I mean, I don't know. The 10th batter is he's always coming up. coming up when he's on deck, right? Ex- yeah. Or when he's in the hole, he's coming mm-hmm. up. So to me, this means when he's actually striding to the plate because he is about to bat and therefore the team will have batted around. I don't know if there's a way to settle this. I There isn't. We're just going <laughs> to fight over this forever. But Well, there was actually a, a question later in this mailbag about the thing that we most disagree about. I was right? going <laughs> to pivot right to that one. <laughs> I didn't know I, what I the answer we was going to be, but now I, I guess I do. I thought we were going to have a lot of trouble uh, coming up with one of those. But... Evidently not. <laughs> no. So do you know what the consensus or majority opinion on this this issue is? Do you have a sense of I, which one of us is in the majority? Not that I, that means that we're right, but... Yeah. I, I will say I've been shocked by the number of people who think it's 10. Mm-hmm. Whether that means it's more than... It, it could very well be more than half, in which case, like, I remember Deadspin a while ago, they started talking... There was like a... a it, was, it was a Drew McGarry article where he was talking about wiping after he pooped, and <laughs> he, he said he... Uh, like, he talked about it in... Just assuming that everybody wiped sitting down and Mm. there was a apparently a wiping standing up uh, contingent (laughs) in the comments. And this this ruled his mailbag column for like three months because everybody was just so shocked that these different people. Yeah, I felt the same way about this. Yeah. I did too. What exactly I found out that there like were that people who thought it was not 10. I couldn't believe it. Wow. There's a, a separate entry in the dictionary here that says bat around as a noun with a hyphen between the two words, and it says, the occasion upon which all nine batters in a team's lineup come to the plate in an inning with the 10th batter coming up, first use 1880. Again, I assume that this means with the 10th batter coming up, as in he is actually at the plate or on his way to the plate. But, you know, maybe the meaning has shifted and it doesn't matter what the Dixon Baseball Dictionary says if enough people have decided that yeah, it's that's the a, other way around. A- but I, I firmly hold to 10 and you firmly hold to nine and we're just going to have to continue podcasting somehow and and try to get over this yeah this has been the ringer mlb show part of the ringer (laughs) podcast network join me next week with my new co-host um you'll have to find someone on staff who thinks it's nine yeah i'm sure there's at least one person okay so let's let's go into chris swick's question what's the one topic we vehemently disagree about apart from yeah. that one. I don't know that we have one apart from that one that can measure up. I mean, obviously, we we talk about our differing levels of interest in college baseball on this podcast mm-hmm. fairly often. But, you, but you'd love it if you gave it a shot. I'm not counting that. Perhaps. I mean, I, I love baseball and it is a form of baseball, so I, I don't I don't hate it. <laughs> so I don't know if we're nearly as vehement on that as as we are about this issue. And I know we disagree about the shift and mm-hmm. you think it shouldn't be allowed. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I I do think it should be allowed. I'm, it's not like my favorite thing about baseball or anything. So I, I don't know if that counts as vehement, but I, I have a hard time here coming I, up with something that can top batting around. I'll say, broadly speaking, I think we look at baseball more or less the same way. I think you might think, I don't know if the word is excellence or, or optimality like I, or efficiency. Like I think you think mm. that is inherently interesting in a way uh-huh. that maybe I don't. And yeah, but that's I mean, that's not a huge difference. You know, I wrote probably wrote 5000 words about Max Scherzer this season. Um, I think I'm pretty sure we disagree on how much we like New York City. I (laughs) that's true. Given that you you've lived there on purpose for your entire life and I can't stand the sight of it. Yes. Um, Although it doesn't seem like you're that big a a fan of of Texas either. No. Well, (laughs) I mean, I'd rather live there than here. But yeah. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. I, I think I think our first question answer answered oh, our second way. question I'm... pretty satisfactorily. Yikes. OK, <laughs> let's go to an actual baseball question. Uh, okay. This is from at Strovel on Twitter. Who are the top 
five 25 and under candidates to get 3,000 hits. He offers Jonathan Scope, who is 16% of the way there and getting better by the bat. Scope is one of those guys who's going to put up pretty big hit totals just because he doesn't walk that much. Like we talked mm-hmm. about Ricky Henderson, who played forever and just barely got there because he walked all the time. And, you know, guys yeah. who walk a lot tend to eat up a lot of plate appearances with walks. Mm-hmm. So that's not a bad pick. I don't I don't know if we'll go five deep, but I just say it's probably exactly who you think it is. Guys who right. who make a lot of contact and and started pretty young. You know, Mookie yep. Betts, Francisco Lindor, I think would be mm-hmm. a pretty decent bet. Yeah, there was a rash of articles on this very topic about a month ago when Adrian Beltre made it to 3000 and our former podcast guest Neil Payne at 538 did the statistical look at this and yeah he came up with Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Rugnet Odor is maybe the one you wouldn't immediately think of in that class although he's a, a good player but he started at his age 20 season I think and he's another guy who doesn't walk a ton so those guys Betts and Bogarts Harper is still Mm -hmm. in that class. Machado. Trout is now 26, so I guess he's not eligible, and he also walks a lot. But yeah, I think in that group, I mean, those are also basically the best players under 25, Mm -hmm. so I don't know. Scope is kind of a good dark horse candidate, but he's he's feels to me kind of like, you know, like... I guess 10 Go years ahead. ago, it would have call, been call out a three, a, a guy, <laughs> the worst guy, uh, guy in the 3000 hit club. Well, I, I was going to say that like 10 years ago, it was like Edgar Renteria or someone like that was mm-hmm. like on pace or above the pace because he started young and he got a bunch of hits, but he was not that caliber of player and, and didn't pan out or. Even Carl Crawford, I think, was uh, ahead of the pace for a while. Jose Reyes, guys like that. So it's really, obviously, very difficult to project that far out in advance. And Adrian Beltre has had a completely atypical 30s that you would not have expected. So we can't say with any certainty. That's a worry for me. I just don't think Odor's hit tool is good enough uh, mm-hmm. to to get him there. And the worry, I mean, it's it's possible, I guess. The But the worry with him and Scope is... You got to be good enough to get five, six hundred plate appearances a year, every year for eighteen years, in order mm-hmm. to to get in that territory. And you know, the, just the lack of second. It's it's weird because if your secondary skills are too good, then you walk too much. But if they're not good enough, then once your bat slows down, you're out of baseball at thirty two. So mm-hmm. I think that would be the reason that I would bet against scope getting there. Apart from just so many things would have to go right anyway. There's also the fact that we're at a two fifty four league wide batting average. Which does not help either. And if things keep going as they have, and if they do, probably we'll get rule changes or something to counteract it. But if things keep progressing this way, we'll just see more and more strikeouts, lower averages. So that won't help. Yeah. And let's predict the future again. A lot of the the answers will probably be the same to this question. This one's from at STH749. Who is your guest to one day become the last active player whose career started before StatCast? So I guess we're counting yeah. end of the 2014 Right. Uh, season. Yeah. 2015 is the first uh, full season of StatCast. So you want someone who debuted right before that and is good and is young, and we probably just named a lot of those guys. Like mm-hmm. Mookie Betts debuted in 2014. He was 21 at the time. Odor, I think, was 20 at the time. So Betts, Bogarts. Trout was only 22. I mean, he'll probably... The thing is, like, he's going to have $700 million in the bank by the time he's 40. So, like, he's not going to have a whole lot of incentive to to stick around trout was well trout was only 22 and like yeah that's true yeah well he might not have incentives to stick around but he's also like the best player ever to this Mm -hmm. point so maybe he'll have a a graceful decline and he will keep being employed for as long as he wants to so yeah it's possible that it could be him which would be impressive since he made his debut you know four years before statcast showed up i'm gonna go way way off the board and go with and uh give a a dark horse uh prediction to alex claudio uh who as sort of like a funky lefty he could do that he was only 22 in 2014 he could do that until he's 45 Mm -hmm. yeah a couple things break right for him yeah i do think about this often though like you know a decade down the line 15 years down the line, it's going to seem inconceivable that we do not have this data on players who predated the system. We're going to be so used to it. And I I think of that even with like pitch FX, for instance, and you have someone like Clayton Kershaw, his entire career 
is in the pitch FX era, which is cool because now we'll have a record of every pitch that one of the best pitchers ever has thrown. And it does make me think about how it's kind of a shame that we won't have that information for anyone who came before that. And we'll just never know certain things, but we just have to accept that. But we're spoiled and we'll get even more spoiled as we get used to having all this information. All right. Let's go to Andrew from North Carolina via email. Uh, Who has a quicker path to contention, the White Sox or the Braves? Does Chicago's star power outweigh Atlanta's depth? And he also mentions that he he was at NC State when Carlos for Don and Trey Turner led the Wolfpack to the College World Series. That was a great year, that 2013 College World Series. Uh, So I want to thank Andrew for writing in and ask your thoughts on this. Well, I would say that I'm more confident in the White Sox plan panning out, but it also might take longer for them to get to the point where they're contending again. I, I think once they get there, they will maybe have built a better team, but I would guess that the Braves are closer to respectability and as far as the division setup the east is extremely weak right now but you have the phillies hopefully ascendant in theory and marlins have new ownership coming in the nationals are still good for a while the mets i have no idea we have a mets question in a little bit maybe we'll get to but i would say that most likely The Braves have the easier path to contention in the division, just going by their competition, and probably are a little bit closer in that they began their rebuild before the White Sox did. So I'll say they get there first, but if I had to buy stock in one of these rebuilds, I would go with the White Sox. I I think the White Sox are pretty close. I think the White Sox get over 500 next year. Wow. Because they, I said this when they traded Eaton and Sale, the amazing thing is not just how much talent they got back, but how close it was to the major leagues. And they've been very, very college heavy Mm. since 2015 in the draft. And whereas the Braves, like they've just, they've got more young, talented pitchers than they know what to do with, but they're, they were all high school guys, almost all high school guys. And they're still, even Colby Allard, who, been in the system for three years. He's still ways off. Whereas, you know, Alec Hansen can move quickly. You know, Carson Fulmer's been in the major leagues already. Lucas Giolito's in the in the rotation right now. You know, Yoan Mankata's up. So and mm-hmm. Eloy Jimenez isn't that far away either. So I think the Braves probably have more talent, but with a longer lead time and as goes along with that, a lot more risk. I guess we disagree, but that wasn't that vehement. Yeah, I also I would disagree on the the characterization of the division too because mm. Kansas City's about to go in the tank, Detroit's about to go in the tank. But you've you know, got the Twins on the way up, and the, 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 and Cleveland's you know Cleveland's they're set good. for yeah right for a long time. So it's it's you know, close. I, I think that's that's not as hard a division as as you'd think. And yeah, I think the White Sox get over five hundred next year. All right, that's bold. But I've always been high on the White Sox. So, all right, this one's from at Heinze23 on Twitter. With the Dodgers winning so many games and up 40 plus on the Giants, what's the largest ever deficit at the end of the season in the division or the league? So I went back and checked some of the the all-time outlier winning seasons and losing seasons. And the biggest gap I found, I'm not 100% certain this is the record, but uh, in 1906, the Cubs set the all-time wins record at 116. And because it was a shorter season than the Mariners, they still hold the record for highest winning percentage that year, the Boston Braves went 49 and 102 and finished <laughs> 66 and a half games back yeah. uh, in the National League. So I if if someone else has beaten that, I would love to see it. Yeah, you could argue that that wasn't real baseball in, in many oh, ways. It's, it's definitely but, not real baseball. Yeah. So I don't know how this scenario would compare to more recent, more competitive Baseball, where you didn't have franchises that were barely attempting to compete and all the other conditions that were different, then I don't have the answer offhand, but I like yours as as an all-time mark. That's a big number. Yeah. All right, let's get to that Mets question. This one's from Addie Baird, and she prefaces this by saying that this question is too banal for uh, effectively wild. So I want to thank you for 
for uh, you know starting it that way. But uh, so here's my question: the Mets, as you may have heard, are a trash fire. I I comfort myself often by thinking about how much of this trash fire is because they have so many hurt players. Right? Please say yes. And my question is whether I am at all right to be hopeful that they could rebound next year and be an actual serious contention. Am I? Well, I don't think you're wrong that they're a trash fire. <laughs> I think you're right on that one. And Sean Fennessy, our editor-in-chief, called me out on being too soft on the Mets earlier this year, implying that Mets fans were maybe making too much of the team's suffering. No, it has been a season of suffering, legitimate suffering. So yep, that's the case. They're going to miss the playoffs for the first time in three years. That's <laughs> Okay. All right. Sean can tweet at you next time now that you <laughs> said that. Happy Sean. I dare you. <laughs> so yeah, I think a lot of it is obviously because they have a lot of hurt players. And just in terms of actual time spent on the DL or days lost to injury, I was looking at this the other day and they're not at the top, but I think... They would rank at the top or close to the top if you looked at just the centrality of the players that they're missing, how good those players are, how dependent they were on those players. It has a lot to do with why they are not competing this year. And obviously, if all those guys are healthy next year, then yeah, things could be great again. But I think we're getting to the point now where you have to wonder about the long-term future of the players who have been hurt this year. And not just David Wright, obviously, but also guys like Matt Harvey, who is pitching but is not the same guy anymore from all appearances. Or someone like Syndergaard, who has just missed a ton of time and who knows whether he bounces back. The best predictor of future injuries for players is past injuries for players. And if you have injuries on your record then you are more likely to have injuries in your future. So they are at the point now where you have to wonder whether they are just compromised with this current team. Things could go fine next year and they could certainly compete with the players they have if healthy, but the more hurt they are, the less you really have to think that they'll be healthy in the future. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting that we looked at the Rangers a couple years ago. I think it was 2014 where they lost yeah. 30,000 games to injury and said, oh, they'll, you know, they'll, be fine once all those guys come back and we look at the bets now and they're like well everybody's hurt they're screwed for the next five years and you know part of part of it just seems like there there is like this sort of malaise but i think that's exaggerated a little bit because they've invested so heavily in old guys and pitchers mm-hmm. and so what would give me pause is not that those guys can't come back it's that the only one that i would bet on return being the same guy he was before he got hurt is Cindergard. like i'd you know, what's your confidence that Steven Matz can throw 180 right. innings next year? And we've yeah, already talked about low. if David Wright ever swings a bat in, a ma- in the majors again, it would probably be a mild surprise. If, you know, what is Matt Harvey now? Robert Gesellman was supposed to be at the one of the better number five starters in baseball. And, uh, you know, he's been all over the place this year. I will say that they're starting to get a couple exciting young players. Ahmed Rosario is number mm-hmm. one on that list, but Dom Smith is also up now, uh, and he should be pretty good. Uh, he's been overshadowed a little bit because of Reese Hoskins, but um, as first base prospects go, he's pretty good. So, you know, they've got, they can retool a little bit, but I just wonder how much of it is ownership is just making it very, very difficult to compete unless you get. One mm-hmm. of those outlier seasons where you have seven power pitchers and five of them stay healthy like that is, yeah. this is what happened in 2015. And if that does happen, you don't need to be that good everywhere else. But mm-hmm. yeah, they're not at the blow it up and start over. point. No, These guys not. are still young and not that far removed from being good enough to get the Mets to the playoffs to the World Series. So you just kind of have to keep trying and crossing your fingers for better luck, better health. Mm hmm. All right, so let's uh, let's continue antagonizing our bosses. And uh, <laughs> I there I got two Orioles questions, and I'm answering this one instead of the one about wow, how great is Tim Beckham? Tim Beckham's <laughs> been really good, so yeah. let's consider that one answered. And go on to Colin Biggs via email. Has any team had worse luck than the Orioles with starting pitching acquisitions the last three years? I'm not sure if luck is the word. <laughs> is, it, <laughs> is that really the most appropriate no. descriptor for what? The, no, I don't. 
don't I don't think so. I think this is kind of what happens when you sign whatever fifth starter type right. is around in February every year. Well, maybe this guy who used to be an ace and looks right. washed isn't washed. Like, yeah. let's bet $10 million a year on that guy three years in a row and see how that <laughs> exactly. how yeah. works out. Combine that with the fact that they refuse to sign international players. So they have only themselves to blame for the fact that they don't have more international prospects coming through the system who could turn into good major leaguers. Mm -hmm. So they're cutting themselves off from an avenue that just about every other team is mining. So between that, between just kind of bargain shopping. Yeah. Player development. I mean, that's the other thing, right? Of course, they've had issues with guys like Hunter Harvey and, and Gossman and Bundy to some extent. And and even now, I'm like, I'm waiting for his elbow ligament to snap mm-hmm. again. There's just something about him that just like, yeah, big Mike Bauman uh, is the <laughs> yes, only big ray Mike of Bauman. light in that, <laughs> that pit, uh, player development uh, pitching yes. pipeline. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, maybe there's some bad luck in here, but <laughs> it's it's definitely not all luck going against them. There is some poor planning and and poor strategy involved here too. Yeah. All right. This one is from Scott Simon via email. Will the future of the internet involve rickrolling your friends with the Jerry DePoto song? The future? <laughs> yeah, we're already there. We've been living there all season, I think. Yeah. Somebody was saying I should write a Billy Epler song or use, you know, repurpose the the tune uh-huh. of the Jerry DePoto song for Billy Epler after the, the busy day he had uh, last week. And no, this is that's not how that <laughs> no, works. Billy Apple doesn't thing. get his own yeah. song. It's it's Jerry's thing. No, as long as Jerry's running a team, this will be a thing. Yeah. All right. This one's from at Real Josh Sandin on Twitter. What would it take for Ben Lindbergh to get sick and give us a college baseball <laughs> podcast next season? Why is he a hater? So I'll just I'll just say I would encourage you to go away for Memorial Day next year. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> well, you, you had your chance. You know, I missed no, a show. No. I, mean, I missed you, my first show since since joining the Ringer. The I never missed shows. Season like well, yeah. I mean, you had your chance. It was right there. My flight was horribly delayed and then postponed, and I was stranded. And you had to do the show solo a few weeks ago. And what did you do? You you talked about the Astros. You talked about prospects and. There's no no college baseball to be heard. So that was it. That was your moment. You missed it. We'll revisit this. <laughs> All right. To be fair, I don't hate college baseball any more than any other college sport. I'm, I'm very just uh, apathetic about college sports in general. And the only reason I never opine about the other ones is that I don't do a podcast with anyone who brings them up. <laughs> so <laughs> that is it. I'm I'm more pro college baseball than I am any other college sport, really. All right. This one's from at Rooftop Heckler. Early 2018 College World Series uh, national seed <laughs> predictions. So I will mute myself for this one. All right. Oregon State, they were by leaps and bounds the best team in, in the country last year. They bring back a lot of people. Weird circumstances. Drew Rasmussen uh, didn't get signed. The number 31 overall pick in a very bizarre situation with Tampa Bay, but not nearly as bizarre as Luke Heimlich, who was one of the... Um, the top pitchers in the country last year and was uh, it came out on the eve of the NCAA tournament that he had pled guilty to child molestation, which caused him to fall off of draft boards and he's coming back to school. So I Mm. say what you will about that situation, but he is a very good pitcher and Oregon State's going to use him next year. So, I mean, Mm. there's a this took a little bit of a turn, but you know, this, th- that's probably the most talented team coming back. Uh, Florida uh-huh. brings back Singer and Coar and uh, a lot of pitching talent. They're always, always talented. TCU's always talented. They're going to have Jared Jansack and Nick Lodolo, uh, the, their top two pitchers, coming back next year. I really, really like that program, and uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna wind up explaining why Luke and Baker isn't the number one uh, overall draft pick. Like, he's just an incredibly talented hitter. He's just. I saw him at a, a tournament in Houston when he was a freshman. He's the biggest eight. He was the biggest 18 year old I've ever seen, and mm-hmm. so he's a nailed on first baseman. Um, I go way off the board. I wonder if Michigan's got a shot next year. Like I it's it's past time for the the Big 10 to get another team back to Omaha. That would be a huge upset cuz that only happens. I think that's only happened once in the past 50 years or something like that, but mm. 
Briefly, one question I actually have, a legitimate question. One of the reasons why I have a hard time paying attention to college sports is that the turnover is such mm-hmm. that I, I just can't imagine having to relearn a quarter of the league every year, essentially, and only get to watch these guys for a few years. Once you put in all that time to figure out who they are, that just seems like a lot of work to me. But I am curious about whether the consistency is actually greater than that would suggest just because of these programs that tend to get the best players year after year. So even if you don't know who the specific new freshmen are, you know that they're going to be good because it's Team X. Is that generally true? And that's particularly true for pitchers at certain places. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a a very, you know, I talked the last episode about the Fullerton pitcher. It's the same guy every single year. It's the same guy at Florida. It's there's a a thing, you know, the Vandy boys are, are like the very specific kind of pitcher that they develop. And the other thing is like this isn't I've I've all but given up on college basketball because one of the things that makes it difficult to to follow is the turnover and because there's a lot of one and done guys or guys who yeah. who came off the bench and then sort of only started the second half of their sophomore year and then they blow up and they're gone. And if you get to a four year college, you have to stay for three years. And so that means that guys like Lodolo, who were who were huge um prospects coming out of high school who go to college or who go to college. And these are, you know, guys who start as freshmen tend to tend to stay in the lineup for three years at a time. So you get to you get to know the players a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take a quick break here from our sponsor. We'll be right back with more questions from the mailbag. Today's episode is brought to you by SeatGeek, smartest and easiest way to get tickets to every MLB game. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing the best plays of the year in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I know of to shop for tickets. If you get the SeatGeek app, you can be anywhere. With just a few taps, instantly find seats. I'm planning to use it to see Paul McCartney later this month. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever because SeatGeek doesn't end with sports. It also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available. And no matter what event you're attending, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, Ringer MLB Show listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, then enter the promo code RINGERMLB. That's all one word. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code RINGERMLB today. This one is from Martin Bertelson, and uh, this takes a little bit of a tone. Okay. As a European, and I wanted to answer this because I'm you know, all about the, the growth of baseball in Europe, so sure. I want to support our European fans. Mm-hmm. As a European that recently started watching baseball and starting to catch on, one thing that really sticks out, why are so many players overweight? Is there a benefit to being heavy, as I assume there is in American football, or are they just out of shape? <laughs> Well, I wouldn't well, say there's Martin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, our our body image doesn't conform to the slim European standards. No, there's I... an actual there's <laughs> like an actual interesting, you know, answer to this question, I think, but you know, it's just another European calling Americans fat. That's well, I'm sure demographically speaking, he he may have a point here. But you know, I, 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 one thing that I can't stand is British people calling Americans fat because if our food sucked like their theirs did, then oh, we'd boy. all be that skinny too. So Oof, you're alienating our overseas audience here. So not Martin, we're taking his question seriously. I would say that there is not as much of a benefit to being hefty in baseball as there is in football, certainly. Maybe if you're a pitcher, there's some element of momentum that comes into play with certain guys. I I don't know to what extent that's the case, but you know, there's a, a mass component to acceleration and, and force, so that could play a part. And and obviously, you know, maybe you get more power behind your swing, that sort of thing. I mean, look, it's clear that In baseball, running speed, while important, is perhaps not as important as it is 
in, say, basketball or soccer, just games where the players are covering much more mileage during the game. It is obviously an advantage to be in shape and to be able to run around, but it's not as much of a deal breaker in baseball as it is in certain sports. The perception of baseball players is that they do a lot of standing around and relative to other major American sports, there is some truth to that. So I would say that it's easier for baseball players to get away with not being in tip-top physical condition than it is in some games where conditioning and running are just a a core part of the experience. Particularly compared to something like soccer, you know, where cardio is the whole game and there is very little cardio in baseball. Um, I will say that, so very few active big leaguers are fat. Mm -hmm. I think more active big leaguers than you'd think though are sort of dad bodish yes that, like yeah you know, we've been in clubhouses yeah the, the, <laughs> yeah the strength is i mean there are definitely some people where you know well i'll stop <laughs> that names. chain of thought before <laughs> before they stop letting me you know uh back in clubhouses but yeah yeah so it's not a game that necessarily requires bulging rippling muscles and mm-hmm. so you know i don't know how that sort of how that plays on you know underneath the uniform i will say though that there probably is an advantage for position players for not having particularly long arms and legs though because mm. there's uh, bill james wrote about this and he thought it was just sort of survivorship bias that if you're good enough to not have that quote-unquote ideal body type and get through the various, you know, scouting screening levels and make it to the major leagues and you're the best, you're the best of the best. But mm-hmm. I think there is something to sort of, you shorten your, uh, shorten your actions in the field, your throwing motion, your, your swing. So like even big guys, like Albert Pujols does not have very long arms and legs, even though he's a huge dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you think of guys who have short swings and guys who, you know, you think of uh, Dominic Brown, who had very long arms and sort of had trouble getting the keeping his mechanics together, getting around on pitches. So, if you, you know, you generally want to have a shorter swing. You want to be able to change direction quickly in the field. So, you know, being a little having a, a little bit more of a fire hydrant body type is actually probably preferable to mm-hmm. having to being built like minute bowl <laughs> right yes all right this one is from at the fantasy snob have okay. we already seen the best of aaron judge and are we currently seeing the best of reese hoskins well what we've seen of reese hoskins has been just about anybody's best right Say, and so <laughs> if this isn't the best of reese hoskins then we're in for a ride yeah yeah i mean you know we're talking about this small sample best, obviously, he will have full seasons in his career where he is more valuable than he has been over his historic start to his career. So this has maybe been the best in terms of a span of that length, but it's not the best in a larger sense where he will contribute more over a full season. As for Judge, again, it would be extremely hard to be better than that. He was essentially a five to six win player over half a season, which is one of the best seasons on t- of all time. If you just extrapolate it, that's like the Mike Trout best season. That's like the Bryce Harper 2015 season. It's very difficult to be better than that. So I would say, again, yeah, you know, on a, on a small sample basis and with Judge, it's a larger sample, but I think he's going to continue to be a good player despite his recent struggles and maybe he'll have a season where he's worth more than he has been worth this season just from spreading out the production a bit but he's not super young neither of these guys is super young so maybe you wouldn't project them to mature quite as much as you would with Mm -hmm. the guy who comes up and has a hot start at 21 or 22 right yeah i think with the the judge question, I don't think there's another first half with a an OPS of thirteen hundred <laughs> right. or whatever it was. Yeah, I, I I think it's entirely possible he OPS is nine eighty for an entire sure. season somewhere else in his career. I think the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. there's the there was so much talk about his Babbitt being overinflated, his home run rate being overinflated, but the fact of the matter remains he was hitting the ball harder than anybody else yes. ever had and. So it like it's possible, and I, I've said this before. It's possible to a certain extent the rules just don't apply to him. So mm-hmm. you know he can continue striking out thirty three percent of the time and still be one of the best hitters in baseball if he 
doesn't strike out 45% of the time yes. or whatever he's doing in the, the second half. So there, that, that actually works into another question that is very long. So I will, I might elide some of the, mm-hmm. some of the pros in this email. This one's from Jason Parker in Atlanta. Do we not overvalue hot streaks in baseball? He's, and I'll just summarize here. He, he talks about how Stanton has been the hottest player in baseball over the past couple months, but halfway through the season, he was hitting 262, 345, 868. Obviously, his completed campaign numbers will be MVP caliber, but should we add more weight to consistency? A team is is attempting to win 162 different times per year. Regardless of the intensity of the impact over a short period of time, the winning percentage is likely to increase. His impact is spread over a wider area of the data. So he goes on to ask if Charlie Blackman, who's been just consistently very, very good over the course of the season, season mm-hmm. uh, is actually more valuable than somebody like Stanton. Mm. Well, I'm not sure how much it matters how you spread out your production. There might be some small ways in which it affects things, but I think if you just look at their respective wins above replacement player right now, Stanton is at 6.0 at Fangraphs as we speak. Blackman is at 5.7. I would say that they have had relatively similar seasons Mm -hmm. in terms of production. It's just taken a different shape. And I'd say, yeah, we probably overvalue the hot streak in the amount of attention we pay to it. I think that's certainly part of it. If you spread out your production, you're less likely to get the article from one of us raving about how hot you've been than if you have the Stanton streak. And both of us wrote about Stanton, although I wrote about Charlie Blackman early this season, too. So... I think that is one thing. If you compress all of your production into a short span of time, it's going to get noticed more than if you spread it out. But I'm not sure that the value to your team differs all that dramatically in those two cases. Yeah, I think I will say like I I agree that it sort of doesn't matter when your production comes so long as you know, it happens unless something absurd happens, like you hit 55 home runs and you hit you know, four home runs in a game 10 times over the the course (laughs) of the season. But even then, your team would be overwhelmingly likely to win those 10 games just on the strength of those four home runs. So maybe maybe it just doesn't matter (laughs) when it comes as long as it comes. Although I'm having a little bit of trouble squaring that with my being like my Hall of Fame philosophy, Mm. which is where I value uh, peak over over longevity. But I Uh think that 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 speaks to like the ability to be great as opposed to just hang around. And mm-hmm. like yeah. that, that and ability to be great over the course of a season, that's a hot streak that we, we you know, we call that clustering or randomness. So mm-hmm. it, whereas if you, you know, you put up a nine or 10 win season, there's no way you're not a, a great player. Yeah, right. And, you know, maybe there's some value in that if you're a 10 win player or something, you're producing all that value from one roster spot that is maybe more valuable than having two players who are worth the same amount when you combine them, but they're taking up twice as much space on the roster. I don't know that players necessarily get paid according to the idea. No, it definitely uh, doesn't scale up like that. No, I don't think it does, but there might be some value there. But yeah, I think we are on the same page here. Yeah. Okay. Would a ballpark with no fences be a hitter's park because anything past the outfielders would be an inside the park home run and anything in front would be a double? This is from at Chong 91 on Twitter. Yeah, I would think so, because you would probably need to play way back because you wouldn't want balls to go over your head and roll all the way to the non-existent wall. So you'd have outfielders playing super deep and they'd be giving up a very high batting average on balls Mm -hmm. in play. It would be like Coors Field, but even more because the BABIP would just be crazy. So yeah, I would say no fences at all. That's, That's a hitter's park. Yeah, I mean the only way there's only one way to find out for sure. Uh, but yeah, I think you you'd give up more on the outfielders playing back and just and I don't know like some somebody must have data on this whether there are more doubles off the wall than there are you know you'd give up a lot of uh, wall scraping home runs would turn into outs but so many of those anything that gets past the outfielders would be you'd still have a lot of home runs right like there'd be inside the park home runs so I don't know if. There is a boundary to this park. Everything in the world is inside this park because there are no fences. But yeah, you'd still have a lot of homers. They'd just not be over the fence kind. All right. This one, I don't know if we're the best people to answer this question, but we'll give it a shot anyway. This is from at the Geffy Man on Twitter. 
if you go to a baseball game by yourself, what's the best way to watch? Where hmm. do you sit? Do you move around? Do you go to standing room? So uh-huh. I think I have done this in the past. Not I've done it exactly once. Yeah, I haven't done it recently, of course, because when we go to a game, generally, we're just going up to the press box. But in the past, when I've done this, I'm a little apprehensive always about sneaking down, not because I I think that I'm harming anyone's life. Obviously, I'll I'll give up the seat if someone comes and takes it if I don't have a ticket to it. But I'm always kind of apprehensive about just is an usher going to yell at me or something. Getting shooed out by a stranger. (laughs) I'm exactly exactly the same way. Right. We're very rule abiding people. So I would say I have done that, though, in contexts where it's very clear that there's not going to be any penalty or disapproval and other people doing it and no one's really policing the stand. So in that case, yeah, I would say move down. And if you haven't been to the park before, definitely walk around, mm-hmm. see what it has to offer, check it I'm out just from all angles. just in general, do a lap of the concourse yeah, if it's your sure. first time at the park. Yeah, I would, I would definitely encourage you to move around it. I mean, unless you have an amazing seat right behind home plate or something where any view that you have is going to be worse. You know, if you're not getting the value of sitting with someone and having the conversation, then at least take in the scenery, see the park and the players from different angles. That's what scouts do, right? Not that you mm. are necessarily scouting, but they want to see guys from the first base side and the third base side and behind home plate. So they get different looks. And I would say I would do the same if I were by myself at a game. Yeah, I think it's different depending on the level and depending on how good your seats are. Because if it's a major league game, I'd almost rather, if I'm looking at it for trying to get information, you'd have to sit in seats that are more expensive than I've usually been able to afford. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so if you're just going on your own and because of that, Major League Baseball has generally been a social event for me. I go with people to hang out and sit outside and have a beer. Yeah. If it's a a college or, or minor league game, then I think, you know, you might try to insinuate your yourself right behind home plate and sort of see the game up close mm-hmm. uh, in a way that you might not be able to in the majors if you're not a scout or you're not preposterously rich. Yeah. But yeah, I just for that reason, you know, if I'm not if I'm not working, I tend to go with people because uh, mm-hmm. it's because if I go, actually go to a big league ballpark and, you know, pay money to to go as a fan, then part of the fan experience is, is sitting with other people. So, yeah. All right. This is from at Drew Wilfart on Twitter. Are the Nationals better or worse than their win-loss record? They've got great players, but is it inflated? It being their uh, their record, presumably. Is mm-hmm. it inflated by playing in the awful National League East? Yes, it is. We should quickly just look up their record as we speak against their divisional opponents. I'm sure it's very strong because this has idea. been an extremely weak division. So... Obviously, yes. But on the other hand, they have had a lot of injuries and missed most of their best players for portions of this year and have had times recently where they really weren't running out any of their starting lineup from the beginning of the season. So I would say those things cancel out to a certain extent. But but yeah, obviously, you have to take into account the equality of your opponents and with the Nationals, that is a, a real difference maker. Yeah, they're actually not beating up on the NL East all that much. They're uh-huh. so they're ten and six against the Marlins, eleven and five against the Mets, but they're only seven and six against the Braves and seven and five against the Phillies. Uh-huh. So you'd expect them just based on how much better than they are than those four teams. I think to to be a little bit more out in front if you're going to say that the that the division schedule is inflating their record they've just you you look at their record versus various various opponents it's a lot of 2 and 1 4 and 2 six, mm-hmm. you know 6 and 1 against the reds so they've just they've just been good against everybody pretty much mm-hmm. uh, and yeah uh, just the the number of games they've lost and I'll be writing about this later in the week they've I think they've gotten lucky in a few places in finding replacements in mm-hmm. unexpected places but they've still you know you think about all the all the time that Trey Turner's missed all the time Adam Eaton's missed Adam Eaton's missed so much time that everybody's forgotten about him uh-huh. and this was supposed yes. to be like a six win player Scherzer's missed a couple starts Strasburg's missed a couple starts Joe Ross is out for the season so it's you know I I think that if they get to October 1st and everybody's healthy I think they're going to be better than their their one loss record and I think you know they're perfectly capable of giving giving the Dodgers a run for their money. Like we had a couple questions about how the NL playoffs are going to shake out. You know, I think 
there are probably three other really good teams. I don't know how you feel about the Rockies, but I think the Diamondbacks, the Cubs, and the Nationals can all very easily take the Dodgers out uh, mm-hmm. before the World Series. Yeah, we got a bunch of questions of that type, like can Team X advance, essentially? You know, is is this team good enough to win in the playoffs? That kind of question. And my stock answer is just always yes. If the team was good enough to get there, they're good enough to advance in a short series. And certain teams are maybe more tailored to postseason baseball than others, but the difference isn't so dramatic that really any team beating any other team would surprise me particularly. So I agree that there are teams that are, you know, not as good as the Dodgers, but the difference in the odds is really not that extreme. It's baseball. That's the way baseball works. Yep. All right. And wow, we said we weren't going to get through all of these, but yeah, it's we got through like all the ones you would uh picked out yeah yeah uh, we got we got one more that okay that we'll deal with pretty quickly does and this is from Kyler Ludlow via email does Corey Kluber have a realistic shot at the AL Cy Young Award he asked a couple different Cleveland questions but one of them we answered in uh the Thursday show so Mm -hmm. we'll go with this one does he have a realistic shot well you have to make a case for why he deserves it or is more likely to get it than Chris Sale and It's not an easy case to make right now in that Sale has about 25 innings on him, and those innings, I would argue, have been more effective. Kluber's incredible. Kluber's probably the third or fourth best pitcher in baseball at at worst. Yeah, I mean, Scherzer, Sale, and Kershaw are really the only ones who have a possibly better case, but I don't know that I could come up with a reason to pick Kluber over Sale. I don't think his stats are more appealing in a way that would appeal, that would sway voters particularly. I don't know that he has uh, any better narrative behind him than Sale does. If anything, I would think just the opposite. So mm-hmm. he wouldn't be a, a terrible pick, but I don't see him as the strongest candidate. Yeah, I think if if Kluber won it this year, it wouldn't be as unjust as Rick Porcello winning it over Kluber last year. You know, that 25 inning gap is huge. And I Mm -hmm. think that it, you know, sale isn't so far ahead in terms of of the rate stats that if he has a couple bad starts and Kluber just catches fire from now until the end of the season, that Kluber couldn't build up a better statistical case mm-hmm. than sale. But I think the two things, the strikeout numbers and the narrative are going right. to, are just going to be huge for, yeah. for sale. Like he's, right. if he strikes out 300 guys and he's the ace that the, the Red Sox and you exactly, know, yeah. whether we like it or not, that Red Sox helps. Like they're, they're a more visible team than Cleveland is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you go by baseball reference where Kluber is actually, actually ahead, out front, yeah. yes, by a, a small margin. But yeah, I, I would tend more toward the stats that say that Sale has been more valuable this season. And I would guess that most voters would lean that way too. But Kluber, you know, he has a, a great case every year if he's not the clear deserving winner. Yeah, I you know, I don't think the the statistical case is that open and shut. I think right now it's the innings because mm-hmm. uh, Kluber's got a slight lead. He's allowing slightly fewer runs and he's allowing slightly fewer base runners on a per inning basis. Mm-hmm. And the big thing, the only thing that sales really got right now that's got that's eye popping is the the strikeout rate. And Kluber's yep. striking at Kluber's second. He's striking out 12 guys per nine innings. So, yeah, it's not like we can dock him for that. And I think once you get up to that point, I would be if the innings were were equal, I'd probably go with Kluber just because once you get up to striking out 12 guys per nine innings, <laughs> yeah. I kind of don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. if it's less than a strikeout, you're still getting out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the way that sale pitches, just maybe his stuff partially, mm-hmm. but just his appearance really is more eye catching than the way Kluber pitches. But the results are fairly similar. So I would say. Sale should win it and will win it, but if Kluber were to win it, it wouldn't bother me. I mean, at this point, no award results really bother me, but this one even more so than most. Yep. All right. Well, that's a mailbag. All right. We did, we did one. a mailbag. Yep. Yeah. That went well. I enjoyed Thanks it. Thanks to everybody who wrote in. We yes. couldn't do this without you. We couldn't do this without you anyway, but you know, <laughs> literally now we could not do a mailbag without your tweets and emails. So thank yeah. you. You want to remind people of the address just in case they want to keep emailing us? Uh, yeah. If you want to write into us, uh, you can write at ringermlb at gmail.com. And uh, mm-hmm. now that yeah. you've put that out there, I'm 
gonna give you the password so you can deal with some of these emails. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. Yeah. And of course you can always find us on Twitter. We're pretty responsive. They don't want to talk to you anyway. Somebody <laughs> somebody emailed today asking for you specifically. So. <laughs> All right. All right. Well this was fun. You have been listening to the Ringer MLP show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. <laughs>